you set out to do Stand There's a cross for you to bear Things to go through if you're going anywhere Things you want are real. You have you to complete, and there is no deal. a midget standing tall and a giant beside him about to fall from chicago we welcome you to another edition of the live from the heartland show as some of you know we've been calling it heartland at home since the pandemic began and we've been out of the studio. This is number 61 for the week of July 24th. We're gonna talk film, we're gonna talk music, we're gonna have a really good time. Uh, stay tuned here for next hour. Good morning, Katie Hogan, how are you doing today? Um, I'm fine, thank you very much. I'm, uh, as we speak, out of town. Um, this show will be uh, broadcast on uh, July 24th, but a couple of us will already have left Dodge uh, by that time. So call us Dodge. Yeah. You know, get out of Dodge. I know. I know. You know. Uh, so the good news this week was I finally got my uh, excessive um, COVID hair cut. Um, working on getting used to that and uh, really looking forward to being out of town. So and figuring out how to do a program today that doesn't make us sound goofy. <laughs> On timing. I, I don't admit to ever sounding goofy. Yeah, I know. I know. Do you have any good news for us today, Michael? Well, it, I have sort of a projection of good news to come. I, uh, I did take a fall a few weeks back. I uh, had it hit my shoulder or wrenched it. I've got the news from the MRI and I'm going to have uh, arthroscopic surgery, just like a lot of pitchers and quarterbacks. And um, it's going to mean six weeks with a, a sling where I can't move my arm, but I, I try to always take a, what may appear to be a negative, turn it into a positive. And I am actually looking forward to reading, to writing, stretching, talking, thinking. So um, I'll try to come up with some good stuff over the next six weeks and um, be sharing that as we go. I'm here to witness that Michael does in fact uh, turn the, the possibly negative into always a positive. So all power to you. One thing that uh, we didn't mention is we've got two great guests today, starting with um, uh, our a return guest by Floyd Webb of Black World Cinema and our buddy and col collaborator, uh, James Porter, who wrote a great review of Summer of Soul. And we're gonna talk to him about that movie. Reason I bring it up is all the music we're playing today 
was pretty much inspired by watching that movie. So we're gonna go off to um, and and do a little transition with Edwin Hawkins singers, singers, Oh Happy Day. Let it rip. When Jesus We are back What's going on in the world, Katie. Well, we have um, we have a couple of environmental. You know, we have the ongoing environmental crisis, and and uh, that unfortunately will not take a break while any of us take a few days off uh, for vacation. There were disaster floods in Germany a week ago. People died uh, suddenly and and without warning. The fires in the West are continuing. Um, buildings collapsing again in Florida. We will have someone in August talking to us about the um, New York Times article that, that uh, upset so many people um, when uh, they were referring to the war between the Chicago River and Lake Michigan. We're gonna get somebody who knows and, and talk more about that. But basically, um, let's keep our eye on the ball, folks. The environment and climate change, it's, it's around us. It's, it's what's happening. Deal. Another real deal is what's going on over voting rights. And before we all left town, on, uh, there were nine protesters arrested at the Senate. Uh, remember that on January 6th, a lot of people weren't arrested who went into the, the chambers, so to speak. Uh, but we but do this, have a situation. This was a, this was a peaceful demonstration. Yeah. yeah. And we included uh, the, the head of the Black Caucus, Joyce Beatty of Ohio. Uh, and they called for an end to the filibuster rule to pass the For the People Act. Um, hopefully in the intervening week, some of you connected with the John Lewis Good Trouble actions across the country on behalf of maintaining our democracy. This is very serious stuff. We not only have to be getting ready for the 2022 elections, but we have to do whatever we can to get this uh, For the People Act through. Um, yeah. It's kind of outrageous how how forgetful so many Republicans seem to be about the history of this country and the actions that continue today that disenfranchise people. You are so right. Michael, you, you hipped me to something that uh, you saw about the um, Chicago and the Sierra Club versus... Biden. Yeah, here's what I, my little environmental report while I was reading away. I did catch a glimpse of a news report that, that there's a new... Uh, a report coming out of Chicago and garbage collection that will stress more uh, recycling because a lot of people say, why bother recycling? They don't do it anyhow, you know? And I always tell my kids, look, we're practicing for what we need to do in the long run. So let's stay tuned on what's going on in Chicago. 
And I did read a piece about the Sierra Club challenging or questioning the bottlers of pop like Coca-Cola, Pepsi-Cola, these kind of things over their false claims that all of their plastic bottles are 100% recyclable, not true. So all these corporations that pretend to do good, uh, we're glad they're at least pretending it's better than what they used to do, but there's a long way to go. Not sure about that. Making it, making it real. Well, well, we can call them out when they say one thing and do another, just like this, the Sierra Club's report. You can find it if you go to the Sierra Club. I'm gonna count on you to tell me. Um, <laughs> speaking of- I can count things, on you. What do you mean? You're gonna count on me. Ah, we okay. count on you. All right, peace. Um, also in Chicago, we've got a lot of uh, a lot of people talking about the crime and and not just the crime as we have always talked about it, statistics and how many people got shot and this, that and the other, but also kind of the nature of crime these days. There was a kind of inflammatory, I, I'm gonna say editorial written by Hermione Hartman in, of Indigo. She's the editor of Indigo called Chicago Crime is Out of Control. I wanna invite our readers, our, our listeners to read that. Look it up, Indigo. Listeners and viewers. Um, yeah, I find it challenging and, and worth debate, quite frankly. Um, and I don't think we're gonna solve the crime problem in Chicago without considering some of the things that she raises. Uh, that debate probably won't happen on mainstream media because people are too chicken blink, blap, blurt. Um, in weeks to come, I'm gonna keep asking people. All right, let's take a little station break and bring on our uh, first guest. You are listening to Live from the Heartland on WLUW 88.7 FM, Chicago Sound Alliance. Stay tuned for Floyd Webb of Black World Cinema. And right now we will listen to Gil Scott Heron. The revolution will not be televised. brother. You will not be able to plug in, turn on, and cop out. You will not be able to lose yourself on Skag and skip out for beer during commercials because the revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by Xerox in four parts without commercial interruptions. The revolution will not show you pictures of Nixon blowing a bugle and leading a charge by John Mitchell, General Abrams, and Spiro Agnew to eat hog moths confiscated from a Harlem sanctuary. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by the shape of a war theater and will not star Natalie Woods and Steve McQueen or Bullwinkle and Julia. The revolution will not give your mouth sex appeal. The revolution will not get rid of the nub. The revolution will not make you look five pounds thinner because the revolution will not be televised, brother. There will be no pictures of you and Willie Mae pushing that shopping cart down the block on the dead run or trying to slide that color TV into a stolen ambulance. NBC will not be able to predict the winner at 8.32 on report from 29 districts. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of Whitney Young being run out of Harlem on the rail with a brand new process. There will be no slow motion or still lights of Roy Wilkins strolling through Watts in a red, black, and green liberation jumpsuit that he has been saving for just the proper occasion. 
Teenagers, Beverly Hillbillies, and Hooterville Junction will no longer be so damn relevant, and women will not care if Dick finally got down with Jane on Search for Tomorrow, because black people will be in the street looking for a brighter day. The All right. What an excellent song. I remember when that was out and uh, how we all hummed along with it. Um, Floyd Webb of Black World Cinema and Black World Cinema TV has an online event called Black Militancy and Revolution in Cinema, which has already begun and continues into September with Sunday afternoon screenings at 3 p.m. and discussions following. Floyd yeah. Webb. I was hey. hanging out with our pal, Peter Kuttner, and he told me about your new project. So mm -hmm. it's been a while since we saw you. The last time was in the studio. We were talking, I think, gun control. Uh, yeah. Let's tell, how about telling us a little bit about your current project and uh, all the exciting films that you've got coming up for the masses to view? Uh, okay, well, after this past few years, you know, especially the past four years, and the level of, you know, the, the level of activity, you know, the number of activists, you know, I, you know, I've been curious about, you know, what people think, you know, how people learn about struggle, you know, about what people have seen, you know, like a lot of stuff has been presented in cinema, a lot of things haven't been really shown. Then at the beginning of this year, we get, um, you know, as a tail end to the whole Black Lives Matter thing, you get this film, um, you know, like, you, you, you know, this militancy becomes a commodity. So they make this film, Judas and the Black Messiah, and which is like, uh, you know, which is like a, um, a telling of, it's, just, it's, it's, uh, it's putting forth the FBI narrative that the Black Panthers are as bad as Ku Klux Klan, but they use Fred Hampton as, a, as an entry into this, this negative narrative, right? Because the film's not really about Fred, right? right. The, film, the, the film doesn't go into anything about Fred. What, it, what they do is they take, a, it's like, like a bunch of expensive reenactments of like YouTube videos, because you never see here, you never really see anything outside of where Fred came from. I mean, all, all of the very important things. Sure, you can make a film any way you want to, but, but, you, but they want to sell this as a politically, you know, as a, you know, as a, as a film that represents militancy. It's like a sign of the times, but it's really not. What it is, is it's sort of a backwards push, you know, because you, it, because I couldn't believe that the stuff that they had in the film never, you know, the things where they have this woman sits in a window and initiates a gunfight with the police, right? Another another cop is laying on his back begging for his life and a panther shoots him in the face. This exactly. stuff never happened. Exactly. Right? So exactly. why is it even fictional? Why is it even necessary to make it fictional? Why? Because how does the guy re recruit O'Neill? He says, you know, the, you know, the Black Panthers are as bad as the Ku Klux Klan. And they spend the rest of the thing, you know, like, I'm paying attention, right? I'm not being wowed by the, you know, by the fancy berets and all the le leather jackets, right? I'm, I'm not into the fashion sense, right? Although, a lot at, of the time, are, although at the time, it was fairly uh, compelling, the berets and the it, well, it's Well, it's still compelling. It's still compelling. But see, that's, that's the issue. Change comes about by mass movement, not by fashion. You know what I mean? It ain't, it ain't, huh? Oh, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like sure, we we're still wearing berets and leather jackets, but that's not stopping the police from killing black people. I need a new leather like jacket. I need a new black leather jacket. Huh? I got. I'm a Wait, I need a new one too. <laughs> <laughs> I need a new one too. So but, but anyway, 
so anyway, the films, right? So talking about the films, um, so I decided to do something. They ran this film for Academy Award. It was like, why are they running this film for Academy Award? It's oh, it's about a snitch. And I just remembered Rod John Ford's film, The Informer from 1935, which was about the Irish Rebellion. And I said, ah, so that's the deal. So I decided I'm going to screen uh, The Informer with an Irish filmmaker and scholar and do a back and forth with him doing sort of like a, you know, not, not a comparison, but, but looking at the two movements and looking at what I call a culture of betrayal. Well, I didn't, that's not, I didn't call it that. Um, Amilcar Cabral called it that. When, when, when Amilcar Cabral spoke at the funeral of Nkrumah, he talked about that, about how our movements are, are often sold out and how that comes about and where our consciousness and, and where we fail in our consciousness and not recognizing that, right? So I, just, I decided to do three films. The first one was um, um, the, the the first one is the Informer, 1935, by John Ford, which will next, have shown last weekend. When which which will show July 18th. Yeah. The next one, two weeks later, is is going to be uh, up uptight by uh, Dashin. I think Dashin was. I think Dashin got blackballed, didn't he? You the, tell me. I I wanted to ask you about yeah. this. Yeah. So yeah. So he did a remake of the Informer with uh, with a. Uh, that takes place in Cleveland in the 1960s in the middle of the uh, civil rights movement. And the third film is, uh, is, uh, is called Captain Thomas Sankara about, about the, uh, the president of Burkina Faso who was assassinated by his best friend who was considered the Che Guevara of Africa, right? He was doing all these incredibly progressive things in Africa and, uh, and you know, his best friend got with the imperialists and took uh, took him out. Yeah. Tell us, Floyd. Tell us a little bit about Sankara because uh, you know I, I think I read in your material that uh, he's he's more well known in Africa than Nelson Mandela, and that was a new one on me. And I'm looking forward to seeing the film. But give well, us a bit on it. Well, it's that's it's funny you say it because I was over at, at Sweetwater Foundation the other day, and one of the and one of the kids there was reading Thomas Sankara on women. <laughs> I, I was I was really, really impressed, right, <laughs> on the south side. Some somebody's uh, Sankara was was a military officer, right, and he had and he launched a coup in 1983 and took over Burkina Faso and know? renamed it. And he renamed it the land of upright men. Yeah, the land of upright men. This guy had a program. You know, his first thing was to get Burkina Faso out of the World Bank and to become self-sufficient in agriculture. You know, he wanted to remove, uh, he, he wanted agrarian self-sufficiency. So all of his domestic policies were, were focused on pre pre preventing famine, right? And, and uh, he prioritized education, uh, public health by vaccinating uh, 2 million kids against meningitis, yellow fever. Um, but before that, like 18 to 15,000 kids died annually. From, from 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 those things, if you 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 can believe that he outlawed female genital uh, mutilation, uh, he outlawed forced marriages and polygamy, uh, he appointed women to high government positions. I mean, the dude was he was you know he was just incredible. He was incredibly pro progressive, and uh, he and he now here's where here's where the trouble came. He encouraged the prosecution of a 
officials accused of corruption and counter-revolutionary lazy workers. <laughs> they had people's tri tri tribunals. I mean, he was, a, you know, he was, he was, a, you know, uh, he was an admirer of, of, of the Cuban revolution. But, um, and, you know, he, he, he got some criticism from, from Am Amnesty International. But, you know, it's like the, the guy's trying to, he's trying to bring his country out of being dependent on the imperialist nations from being de dependent upon France and all of the other Euro European countries. And, you know, and how he does that is, you know, it's everybody ain't going to agree with it. But, but that's the thing. So, uh, I mean, I actually met Sankara because I used to go to the film festival. That's another thing he did. He put an emphasis on culture and he set up an African film festival, right? That was unlike, any, there had never been an African film festival like this. You met, you met him over there in Berkeley? I met him several times. He used to have us to dinner every time we went. Yeah. Damn, yeah. hombre. Yeah. That's impressive. Oh, wait. We were trying to get him to come. We were trying to do a sister city thing with Burkina Faso and Chicago. And he was supposed to come. He was supposed to visit Chicago to meet with Mayor, with Mayor Washington. Yeah, Mayor wow. Washington was very into the sister cities. He, and, he they, and, they, and they both died around the same time within like four or five months of each other. Wow. Floyd, uh, you got a long list of films that I had never heard of a lot of them. I did see Lumumba. I think you've already shown that. I don't know if that's on the... No, not Lumumba. I don't have... It wasn't Lumumba, was it? No. Yeah, that was it down in, somewhere on your website. But what I'm asking about is... That yeah, oh, 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 yeah, on the website. Yeah, sure. Uh -huh. On the film that you're going to show called Ice by Robert Kramer. Oh, uh, yeah, that, Robert that Kramer. Piqued, that piqued my imagination because I knew him uh, when he worked at the Newark Community Union Project. And I remember seeing it with a lot of SDS people and they were freaked out. And yeah. I, I didn't understand it. Tell us a little bit about why you chose that film and what's it about. Well, you know, with ICE, these are things that I've all had experience with, right? ICE showed at the music box, I think it was. Um, I think it ended up at the music box like almost immediately after Fred Hampton died, right? It was... After, it, Fred. After, after Fred was assassinated, this thing, I think it was the spring. I think it came out in the spring in 1970. Uh -huh. And I went to see it. Yeah, it was because it was it, it was really surrealist. It was really like, in a way, you know, uh, it's not like a straight linear narrative film, right? It's like a series of statements. It's a series of propaganda. It, um, it's, um, you know, it, it, where all of these underground revolutionary groups carry out these attacks against officialized fascist regime in the United States, you know, while dealing with their internal struggles, which is what we were doing. So it's got, so it's got all of it. So it's, so it's, it, it ends up for people that don't know what's going for, for people that, that weren't participating in the movement. I think it was really, I, I think it, it, it was really too, too surreal for, for, for like lots of people, but I think it's, it's worth a review. It's worth going back and looking at it. Right. I was fascinated by it when I first saw the film, you know, and uh, and matter of fact, I knew some people who had, had worked on the film and they, they, they took me, yeah, man, where are you working on ice, working on ice? Because I just met, you know, I, I, uh, I, I just just met the people that were working on in 69. I met the people who were working on the uh, Fred, Fred, Fred Hampton film. And I was, you know, so I was hanging around people and I was hearing, hearing things. And this name ice, ice, ice was, was coming up constantly. So, so Floyd Webb, uh, can, can we, before we lose the, the thread, can we um, let people know how they can link up to and participate in the Black Militancy and Revolution in Cinema 
series that you have started last week and are going yeah. through September yeah. with? We can go to blackworldcinema.net and there's a button on there. There's a green button right below the, uh, the uh, vi video that you first see. And it says register for programs, right? Yeah. You just hit that register, that green button, and it'll take you and you can sign up for the programs and you'll be informed of all the screenings that are, that are, that are coming up. Uh, you know, and you can choose which ones you want to go to. It's free. We do ask for a donation. There's a donation button when you come to the screening. And if they want to donate, you know, hey, please do. But, um, and, and after each film, you're doing a bit of a discussion. We're doing thing. a discussion. Yeah, we're going to have, yeah, we're going to have various people talking. Uh, it won't be just me. Uh, the first one, we have uh, uh, Hugh O'Collin, who's a filmmaker from Ireland. He's at Gal Galway University. Uh, the week after uh, the, the next screening, two weeks later, of tight is Andre Seawood, who's a uh, author and filmmaker uh, from uh, from Indiana University in Bloomington at at the Media Center, and and I'll be announcing the other the other uh, speakers as we get them. One of the speakers is going to be um, uh, of a film from from 1972 called up called uh, Top of the Heap. Um, uh, and oh my God, my memory, my memory. <laughs> I'm old. I'm old. Um, well, you so, trying to remember the name of your speaker? Yeah. Well, no, no, no. I'm trying to remember the name of the director. I don't have. Hey, know. that's okay. We're gonna we'll find yeah. that out. But I'm we're gonna fire a couple more quick questions at you because we're okay, running sure. short of time. Sure. And okay. uh, last time that you and I talked, or a number of times we talked about a film you were working on about a martial arts guy. Oh, about Count Dante? Count Dante worked in the black community, was a white guy, was some hotshot martial artist. How's that film coming? So you, you still I, got, I got, hey, I got financing. <laughs> Somebody from LA called me and you know, a company called Workaholic Productions called me. So we'll hear more about that. And we're and we're on it. Yeah, we're yeah, we're yeah, we're we're we've been meeting. It's now it's not a documentary, it's gonna be a poor a four-part series. Oh my well, god. Well, if you're using those SAG actors, let me know for an they wanna, yeah, yeah, they yeah, they want to do it like a Tiger King thing, you know. So huh. so uh, which I was I'm, you know, so it's it, it's it's gonna be interesting. I just wanna get it done. I'm I'm you know, I'm finished. I'm finished. I, I wanna be done with this film and over with, you know. So yeah, so yeah, Count Dante. Yeah, the, the search for Count Dante. Um, can go to, to the search for Count Dante .com. Yeah. So our next guest, who's probably in the waiting room already because we went a little long here, um, is uh, one of our cohorts from the the station who did a great review of uh, Summer of Soul. Okay. Ah. And I'm just wondering if you've seen it. And yeah, I have. Yeah, I have. And what do you think? I love it. I, I I love it. I mean, all those little musical things that used to happen. We went. We you know, there's so much stuff like that happened that was totally ignored by mainstream media. Yeah. You know, but that had been going on forever. You know, so much. You know, like uh, um, I remember somebody telling me Jimi Hendrix was either there or someplace, but he was playing in Harlem around that same time. Huh. And his friend of mine's got pictures of him of, of him. And, you know, she she pulled out the pictures of, of him playing on the street in Harlem on a on a stage, right? And I thought that, that 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 was part of it. But you know, so many beautiful things like that happened. It happened in Chicago, you know, it happened in parks, you know, where people just come out and there would just be, you know, just music, sometimes spontaneous, sometimes planned the way this was, you know. So um, yeah. 
So once again, um, for listeners and watchers, whoever catches this, we're talking with Floyd Webb. He's got a great series going on this summer. It's already underway. Um, Floyd is from Black World Cinema, but the online event is called Black Militancy and Revolution in Cinema, which has already begun and continues into September. Look for it on blackworldcinema.net. And one more thing. Yes. We have a stream, we have a streaming channel that's grown out of Black World Cinema and the Black Light Film Festival called BWCTV.tv. Ah, very so, good. And we're look and we're doing progressive things. We're trying to create an alternative to all to all of the mainstream crap that you you know where you can see to, to, to do to, to show you the kind of films that you wouldn't normally see. Documentaries that like Netflix and them will never show because of the voice, you know, because of the because of the voice, the tone of voice. You know, so we're so I can show stuff like ice, you know, so, you know, once I get stuff licensed, so BWCTV.TV, we do subscriptions and the subscriptions are only $3.99 or $39.99 a year. You know, I always have to have that $99.99 on there, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> make them think they're getting a deal. Hey, Floyd, thanks so much for coming okay. on today and right. thanks for all your good work. Okay. All and I want to thank you for turning us on to some great films that we've never even heard about. And I think that, you know, obviously there's the, some of that has to do with the suppression of black culture in this country, but uh, oh, I'm oh, amazed and yeah, I think <laughs> there's probably an awful lot more of them that we don't know about. So keep yeah. it coming, brother. Yeah, it is. Okay. Okay. Good. Good to see you guys. Okay. Thank take you care. kindly. And okay. we'll be back with you. Okay. Right. I want you guys energy. My God, you guys are just up and boom, 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 boom. Okay. <laughs> we ate a lot of good food at the Heartland for 36 years. Hey, yeah. Uh, and I'm doing this. Carbo load. Bam. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Take care, you guys. Take bye -bye. care. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. You are listening to Live from the Heartland on WLUW 88.7 FM, Chicago Sound Alliance. Stay tuned for our next guest, James Porter. After this, from you, Masakela. Raisin in the grass.
yes, yes, you must Kayla. I love it. I love it. And I love seeing the face of James Porter. Welcome. Welcome back. So good to see Hello. you again. Hello, everybody. Um, Missed you. <laughs> uh, you were instrumental. I mean, you were inspirational to us, I should say, because your mm -hmm. piece in Rock and Roll Globe, which of right. course I don't generally read, but it's called Are You Ready, Black People? Um, yes. Summer of Success <laughs> Hire, quoting Nina Simone, was enough to get me to go to the film itself. And I have to say, it was a pure joy to watch it in a in the theater at Cinema Landmark Theaters yesterday um, and on the big screen. Uh, first time I've seen a movie, you know, in all that time. So for right. those who haven't caught your review, you want to mm -hmm. highlight what struck you about this remarkable film? And well, besides the obvious fact that it was like, you know, stashed away for a long time. I mean, it kind of struck me about how all that star power all in one place. And plus, when you think about it, you know, the time that it, it came out during a very political time, you know, some folks say that the festival was like partially a reason to get people off the streets, you know, and uh, in, in something more constructive, you know, but even so, it's like the performers, this is like the summer of 69, the performers were not letting you forget, you know, of uh, the politics of the time. Even somebody as apolitical as say Gladys Knight and the Pips, you'll notice that when they went off the stage one by one, you know, in a row, it's like the Pips were throwing power signs. Yep. You know? Yeah. yeah. And Nina yeah. Simone was even more blatant. She was asking people were they ready to kill. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, this is more than a concert film. This guy, Amir Questlove Thompson, has put together a pretty impressive documentary about the era and the context under which this event took place. What do you mm -hmm. learn from the non-musical aspects of the film? Well, be honest with you, I'm a historian to begin with, so I kind of knew what was going on. If anything, it kind of put me in the context of New York, you know, in that time, even though it was happening in Chicago and L.A. and any other area, you know, any other major urban area and even some rural areas. Um, uh, it was kind of as I seen New York as existed in that summer of 69. Harlem was kind of like, you know, a hotbed for a whole bunch of things going on, you know, and um, this kind of brought it all together. And it was just entertainment. It was just like seeing people in the audience doing the boogaloo. There were like some serious you know, uh, political statements being made, uh, whether overt or covert, you know? Um, yeah, and so, I, yeah, yeah. I could not believe the uh, huge role that Jesse Jackson played. Um, I mean, I can believe it because I know him and I know him personally and I've hung, I hung with him during the Washington years here and he is a, a camera mm. hog and a publicity <laughs> hog, just like everybody thinks he is. But there yeah. he was in New York bringing the breadbasket choir there. I was pretty impressed with that Ben Branch was part of that. Um, yeah, Chicago's fairly well represented in that movie. Yeah. 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 You know, what I, what, one of the things that caught my attention, and I don't know much about him, but was Mayor Lindsay. Yeah, your take on him in the film, you know, showing Oh, up. man, I was frankly impressed. I mean, I, I, um, I, don't, I don't like to admit that I didn't really know much about him, but they made him like one of the few Republicans who's worth a damn. That's true. You know, and when, and also what I liked about it, they made it sound like if he went to Harlem, it wasn't to get any votes. He went to Harlem because he was hanging there, you know, and, and I was like wondering how come nobody. I mean, this is a piece of history that I would have loved to have heard about earlier. You know, I mean, I've heard his name banned about, but I know what he was all about, you know, and for a Republican, I got to say he kind of had it together. 
you know? Yeah. So we're, we're going to just play a few little snippets of music given that we get to, cause it was a music film. So um, just right now um, we were going to play the fifth dimension uh, doing their Aquarius because I thought their appearance and the thing that some of the things they said, you might want to comment uh, on the fifth dimension. Um, yes. Just before we, we play it and we'll come back with more. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Okay. Tell us about the fifth dimension now. All right. The fifth dimension were this uh, vocal group, this African-American vocal group who originally conceived as like a black mamas and papas. They eventually moved away from that specifically since the mamas and papas basically broke up like right around the time the fifth dimension was starting to come on. But uh, they had a very pop sound, which wasn't really, well, I want to say it was one accepted because I mean, when it did come up, they did have the occasional hit on black radio, but in general, their audience is mainly like, you know, white pop, easy listening guys, right? You know, and I heard about one story, might not be true, maybe about how they were like picketed at some show they were doing at college because, you know, the black students thought that their sound wasn't black enough. You know, even if it wasn't black enough or white enough or what have you, it's like their performance in the movie was very entertaining. You know, and I thought it was like really, really touching because I mean, Marilyn McCoo and Billy Davis Jr., you know, the two members of the group who were interviewed, they were like very keenly aware of how much they stood out from the black mainstream, you know, and they were like seriously, seriously touched that they got, you know, that 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 they had Harlem on their side at least for an afternoon, you I, know, I loved, and I loved that that bit where they showed them watching it. Um, let's right. Cut to, let's cut to a little music, and when we come back. We'll pick it up again. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, Fifth Dimension, Aquarius, and Let the Sun Shine In.
I got to say, James, I loved when they showed Pop Staples being uh, interviewed by none other than Dinah Shore. Yeah, yeah. That That was during the crossover years. Ah, (laughs) Dinah Shore. I mean, she was a crossover gal, too, which a lot of people didn't know about her. She had a lot of black guests for a for a white girl, a blondie like herself that a lot of Muddy Waters on Dinah Shore show, you know. Exactly. She was a very, yeah. I saw, I, I loved that. And Michael also caught uh, sight of a friend of his. Gene uh, Barge was in. I just saw a little bit of Gene Barge in one of those bands. Who was he? He sure was, yeah. Was he and playing Wayne with Sly? Michael, was he playing with Sly's orchestra? I don't oh, no, he was playing with, uh, J- with Operation Breadbasket. Oh, right. Okay. okay. Right, right. Tell, tell our listeners who Gene Barge is. I know I'm, I know him from working in Andy Davis films with him, but I know right. he was a hotshot musician way back. Oh, he was. I mean, he was like a sax player who was like around since the 50s. I mean, he played on like a C.C. Ryder by Chuck Willis. You know, he played on all those Gary U.S. Bonds uh, songs. And when he moved to Chicago, like in the 60s, 65, I want to say, he played on a lot of like uh, classic chess recordings, you know, like Wayne Dane Doodle by Coco Taylor. And he's been a part of the scene ever since. I mean, matter of fact, I used to go to the same barbershop as him. I used to love to hear him tell tales, you know? That's so cool. That is so yeah. Do you think that uh, Questlove has more of the Summer of Soul to release? I mean, since it was what you said, 50 hours worth of film, do you think he's right. going to do a, a second or third go round? There should be. I mean, on the one hand, I mean, it's like, I mean, a lot of people going back and forth about how the spoken word bits kind of overwhelmed the music, you know, and which is kind of true in some cases. I'm like the biggest Chambers Brothers fan and they were like the first band on the show, you know, and most of their songs kind of taken up by uh, by like like spoken word clips and narration and video and what have you, you know, and that was, I mean, that was great for what it was, but I think it would be gr- nice to see like the remainder of it if it were possible because there were a lot of people who were in the movie, who were at the event, excuse me, that didn't make the movie, like say there's a group called Listen My Brother, you know, uh, uh, this choral group in New York, you know, who are now known as, uh, uh, they had like a young Luther Vandross in the group before he oh, even, uh, before he was even famous, yeah. you know? So yeah. that would be great to see a little bit more footage, you know, uh, and plus Red Fox, Moms Mabley, you know, Willie Tyler and Lester, you know, you saw them for a minute, but they weren't really featured. So I mean, it would be Tyler good. And Leslie were pretty darn funny for that little clip. They were, they were, yeah. They really were. Um, How I, did you like the crowd shots? I mean, I was struck by those little kids they showed, a lot of them, but the, there was one in a sombrero. But I mean, they just crowd shots were beautiful. They Your were. Take they were. Oh, that was half the fun, believe me. I mean, just like in, the, in a similar movie, Watch Stacks, which I hope you've seen, the camera spent as much time dwelling on the audience as they did uh, the performers. You know, and like I said in the article, one of the most poignant, you know, I mean, I love seeing the fashions. And I love seeing the fact that I mean, I don't, I don't know who out there is familiar with the Boogaloo, but that was like, you know, a very famous dance like in the mid to late 60s. Of and when, whenever you saw somebody dancing, you know, in the audience, they were always doing that step, that side to side step. And they were doing it well, too. That, that stood out to me. Yeah. You know, but however, though, I mean, what I was going to say was uh, about the audience shots. There was a like really pointed shot where you saw like a white man with a black kid perched up on his shoulder. You know, and it's not, no one explains why he's there or who, what he was about, but he was there and he looked like, you know, like he was part of the scene, not like he was trying to like make a scene like a, like a, like a politician would. I mean, like he really was like, you know, down for the cause, whatever it was, you know. 
You know, um, there's another uh, review of the movie that you should check out, Carol Cooper. Did you see mm -hmm. that on NPR? No, I did not. Uh, NPR, you said? Okay, I'll check it's it out. It's on NPR. It's, I mean, it was, it's, I printed it up. It's called After a Violent Winter, the Summer of Soul was a Musical Moment of Healing. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, but I, what I liked about your article, one of the things I liked about it, you're such a good writer, dude. Um, well, thank you. <laughs> the, when you said the performers themselves, Sonny Sherrick, uh, Wayne Bennett, um, drum, when Stevie Wonder was drumming, Max Roach attacking their instruments like rifles. I mean, there was, yes. there was absolutely no question of the emotion that, that these guys were all feeling in each and every one of those cases. Uh, I so appreciate you pointing that out because um, it was, it gave me chills. It gives me chills to think about it. Actually. Right, and nobody was really half-assing it during the performances either. Because if you notice, it's like I think everybody, regardless of what they were doing, they kind of knew the magnitude of the event, even though it was basically forgotten for decades. I yeah. mean, because I mean, you didn't get the when you saw like Sonny Chirac or Stevie Wonder doing their thing. I mean, it's like I mean, they really were. I mean, of course, they would have done their thing anyway because that's what they do. They do that's what they do. Uh, but they, they, you can kind of tell they were kind of spurred on by the audience. You know, well, and also too, though the fact that you know, I mean, uh, that the uh, Sonny Sherrod played guitar for one of the few white performers at the event, which was jazz man Herbie Mann, you know, who had a had a huge black following. So you know, you no, know, we're gonna we're gonna uh, take a musical break, and we're gonna uh, have Mongo Santa Maria doing Herbie Hancock's Watermelon Man. But before yes, we do that, can you address James? Can you address the amazing span of music? Black music, Latin music, Caribbean music, African music. Uh, I, don't, I didn't see all the Tunji. I don't know if he's in there or not, but they had a, everybody in that, you know, yeah, all perspectives. Yeah, all yeah, Tunji was at the festival. He didn't make the movie, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was like, I say 180 degrees of the black experience in music, you know. Um, they, and as far as rock and roll goes, they missed Hendrix, you know, but they got Sly and the Chambers Brothers. And as you can see from <laughs> crowd shots, I mean, they did well. I mean, Sly was hotter than pistol at the time. If you Sly, notice, it's like wait a, minute, wait a minute, the line about Sly that I loved, uh, like mm -hmm. proto Prince or practice Prince. Did you catch that in the film? No, I did not. No, no. They, they but I kind of see that. Oh, his prowess, his musical prowess. I just really liked the way Sly looked in this film. Okay, let's hear Mongo Santa Maria. We'll be right back with more Live from the Heartland. We're talking to James Porter, one hell of a writer.
Okay, one thing I got to get in here with you, James, before we close. I loved the women in this fil film. <clears throat> From Nina Simone, powerful, to the um, Mahalia Jackson Mavis. Uh, yes. All, excuse me, let me cough, you talk. <clears throat> um, and uh, to finally the festival goer expressing how she felt seeing a sister play the trumpet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Favorite. That movie's very integrated in a lot of ways. Yeah, also that yeah. Let me ask you though, speaking of integrated, you uh you have a great radio show off and on a long time on WLUW called the Hoodoo right. Party. And you Right, it's it's only off it's only off because of the because of the virus. I mean, as soon yeah. as we get back yeah. in that studio, we're on. So <laughs> my, my question is, uh, you know, you mix it up, whether it's the rockabilly, R&B, you know, you mix a lot of genres together. And a lot of your mm -hmm. hosts, I notice you, you, you have a broad spectrum of interest in music. When's the hoodoo party coming back? Do you have any news on that for you and me and Katie both when we get back in the studio? When we get back in the studio. We don't know that's when. when. Don't know when, yeah. Okay. I mean, right. I've heard rumblings, but I can't say, you know. And one last thing before we let you go, your current writing project, is it your book or something more? How's that book I'm, come? The book's ending. Book's coming to an end, you know, and uh, I, I mean, I know I've said that before, but it's like really lengthy. You know, I just finished some liner notes for uh, for a blues compilation that should be coming out uh, later and out to be named later. And uh, just kind of still doing things for the reader, you know, in Streets Blog Magazine. So, you know, I'm still out there, you know, it's what I do. So I do it. Tell us about the, the name of your book. And I think it's Northwestern University Press is going to publish it. That's right. It's called um, it's called Wild in the Streets, Tales from Rock and Roll's Negro Leagues. And it's about black people in rock and roll, not R&B, but rock and roll. And yeah, <laughs> James, it is so delightful to see you. And we are going to go out with uh, Gladys Knight, heard it through the grapevine. So dance your way into your very undecorated new apartment. <laughs> we'll send you some You got photos. it. Hey, thank Love you, you thank you. All right, love you too. Great to see you both.
was totally fun. Um, on this uh, beautiful day in Chicago, we want to thank you for listening because for over 25 years, we have brought you live from the Heartland, now called Heartland at Home. Um, broadcast every Saturday morning, 9 a.m. Central from Chicago's WLUW 88.7 FM. Also streams live from WLUW.org. And it's archived on our channel at youtube.com slash heartlandmedia. In addition to being cable cast right often on Can TV channel 27, we are now on Spotify. Uh, our wonderful intern Gwendolyn Brown has figured out how to do it and she's got us on Spotify and Google podcast. So listen up and we thank our team, Gwen Brown, Luis Mejia, Lynn Orman Weiss and anybody else who comes back to us, whether it's James or Tom or anybody else. And so, in the meantime, we ask you to do good in the world. The world needs all the good that we do. All power. Power to the people.